Welcome to the Hyper Guy Motivational Podcast. Thank you so much for, for being here today. My special guest today is Dominique Figueroa. I'm having him on because he had an amazing trip to, he just recently got back from Poland where he was helping um, Ukrainian refugees. Dominique uh, has a, a, a degree in theology and he went to, he attended the University of San Francisco. He has a master's in, in nursing. And thank you so, so much for being here. And, and it's, it's pretty exciting. You were, you were featured on Fox News for the work you did in, in uh, Poland. Yeah, you know the news. They, if they can find an American, <laughs> they, want, they want to interview him. So. And I, I think one of the amazing things about having you on, uh, Dominique, was that you actually had only been working at this job a short time. And you took your vacation time to go out there on the last minute because you found out that they, that mm -hmm. folks out there needed your help and in fact your job didn't even know you went out there right yeah i mean i, I technically i don't think they still know <laughs> so so the more of this media stuff i do i guess we'll see what happens so. well okay so let's just get into this and um can you tell me where you were born and raised yeah sure i was born actually in castro valley and um lived in oakland for a little bit and then pretty much just moved around the bay area and now i'm in napa california so yeah, pretty much what what was your childhood like growing up? I grew up with uh, seven siblings, so it was loud, it was chaos, it was a lot of fun, um, and we spent a lot of time together as a family, just going to parks, uh, running around, playing in the mud, you know, just doing kids stuff. A lot of uh, a lot of hiking, a lot of outdoors. Um, and what what was your relationship like with your parents growing up and your siblings? Oh, it was. Uh, I mean, you know, like any relationships, you have your rough spots. Uh, some siblings you get along a little bit better with than others. But overall, I think it was when I look at my life, I can't imagine my life without any of them in it. You know, it, it uh, they come, they each bring out a different side of you and they kind of add to your experience of life. So definitely um, very grateful to each of my family members and growing up in a big family. My brothers taught me a lot of uh a lot of different things about riding bikes and doing crazy things and my sisters taught me to try to be a little bit more attentive and listening can't say i've learned all the lessons well but yeah so. and, and what kind of uh growing up what kind of when you look back on your life what kind of life lessons did you learn growing up oh wow um i think priorities you know, I think my family from an early age taught us that, you know, prayer and God are always first, even before your family. And then your family's next and you stick together and you fight for each other and you don't give up on each other. And then after that, you know, it's kind of like, you know, your own goals and school and whatever else you want to kind of prioritize in your life. But definitely God and family are first and everything else just kind of organize it around that. Um, other things that we learned growing up, just work hard. Uh, you know, life isn't going to give you everything and you're just going to have to go and get it. Um, and don't be scared to mess up. Don't be scared to fail because that's part of life. You're going to fail, but you can learn from your mistakes. And uh, and then I guess the last thing is loyalty. Being, you know, loyal to the people in your life and um, trusting them, but then also uh, giving them a reason to trust you, that you're faithful to what you say. You're going to follow through with your word and uh, and come through. And what do you mean by that? Like you say, follow through, like what lessons in life when you were a kid did you learn that kind of brought you to that space? Well, uh, I can say I've not followed through in a lot of ways, <laughs> but learning that um, if you make a promise and you say you're going to do something, you've got to do it. 
And sometimes it's something as simple as chores, or you told someone else in your family you were going to do something for them. And you know, if you're going to wash the car at this time, you're going to do it. You're going to do it. And if something better comes up, that's too bad. You've got to stick it. You got to stick through. You got to finish the job. And plenty of times, that became frustrating to me. You know, like if, like you promise something, and then you're like, well, yeah, my friends are going to the park, and I'd rather just kind of like go hang out or something. But then learning, you know, that you have to stay true to what you say you're going to do. And uh, I think that 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 from an early age learning that helped me a lot in the future, even in college, like picking a major and sticking through something, you know, following through, finishing the classes, finishing the degrees. Like I told myself, I'm going to learn Spanish. So I took a bunch of Spanish, you know, like I took one Spanish class. And then after a couple Spanish classes, you're like, I'm over this, but I hadn't really reached a certain level of fluency. And so my dad, I remember he's like, you know, you follow, you finish what you start. And so I finished those Spanish classes and I learned, I learned Spanish, you know, so little things like that, I guess, but. And who were your role models growing up? Um, definitely my parents, um, my uncles, my aunts, uh, my grandparents, my grandfather. Um, had a lot of good local role models um, in my family. But then also even just larger role models like people like John Paul II, uh, Mother Teresa, just larger um, saints that just really showed what it means to live uh, a great human life and to encourage and inspire other people, but also just to learn how to to put yourself um, second and other people first. And you said you learned some life lessons. This, I know when you were when you were uh, in your childhood, what kind of uh, activities and sports did you do, and what were your hobbies growing up? Yeah, I mean, we spent a lot of time out in nature, so did a lot of hiking, a lot of um, kayaking, um, walking along, you know, different parks spent time playing basketball some soccer um i loved reading so the lord of the rings occupied a lot of my time as a child in my imagination read a lot and uh played a lot with friends we would always you know and when you're kids you know you just like make swords out of sticks and chase each other around the yard so that was a lot of my time and uh, as i got older i started getting a little bit more involved in church service projects and things like that but i think early on it was just a lot of uh just a lot of play, a lot of sports, not too much uh, uh, besides school, obviously. But yeah. So. And um, what kind of lessons did you learn, do you, if you can recall, like from your parents when you were, at least when you recall your childhood, what kind of lessons did you learn? Um, I think the importance of, of the daily tasks and doing your best in the little things. I know, um, you know, there was always like a, a moment every day when we go in the car to school and my mom, you know, would always pray with us and encourage us to just be attentive to the things that we had to do, you know, the little things. And then whenever we would get back from school, she would always ask what was something that went well and what was something that didn't go so well, you know, but like, so then almost like a moment of reflection on your day and thinking about, how did you respond to your environment and, and like in choosing what did you choose and that kind of thing. So I think maybe there's something in there about like a lesson of just paying attention to your daily tasks, doing them well, um, completing them, even if it's something you don't really care about, like math, you know, I never liked math, but, but trying to do your best. And then, you know, following through, we'd always go home after school 
have a little snack and then you have to do your homework right away you know you don't put it off to the last minute and that would always you know get you guys got us in a rhythm of you know trying to just always accomplish what you need to accomplish sooner and don't be lazy don't push it off so i think that definitely the commitment to hard work and and trying to get ahead on things helps a lot too because even in college um, i never wanted to put like a paper or an assignment too far off um, just so that i knew that i was making good progress and i was working on the project well so i think putting your best foot forward working hard and uh reflecting along the way and what were your challenges when you think about a difficult time in your childhood um what were those what was that challenge like for you and how do you think you got through it when you when you think back on it yeah i mean school was hard for me um i got bullied a lot actually and kids were mean you know they just if they could say something mean they will uh they're not all not all kids but at least in, in the environment that i experienced and I think that 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 was very a very difficult time for me and i know without the support of my family like i probably wouldn't have made it through everything because it was almost like that you know these kids can be mean to me but that's at school and it's only going to be for so many hours but then if i go home and i know i'm in a place that's secure um, both in my immediate family but then also in my larger family like going to my family gatherings growing up you know and all your uncles and aunts and everyone's hugging each other and loving each other um accepting each other like that amount of affirmation and love like really helped me kind of push through the the bullying and all of the negative um, things that were said to me and the way that I was treated. So you kind of, did you ever talk to your parents or anything about the bullying or you just kind of, like you said, had to have the discipline to get through it? I mean, initially, you know, no because you feel like oh it's just kids you know they're just being mean but then as it goes on i'm yeah we i did have some conversations with my parents and and so then i ended up switching my school and you know kind of like working a little bit we worked on it so that it kind of created a better environment for myself and and what were your high school years like who um i actually started attending the community college in high school so i actually got i got ahead of you about two about a year and a half in school um they were Good and bad, I guess. It, it's high school, so you're always, you know, there's a lot of adjustments from being a younger student, a lot more required of you school-wise, so you're always, feel like you're always studying. Um, and I was also working with other college and high school students, so you're kind of working at a little bit higher level of of school than, than maybe an average high school student. And so that was another added challenge, I guess, trying to just navigate all these different classes and college professors and learning what is the syllabus <laughs> and all these different things so the academics were definitely challenging um but i but i learned to excel in it which is really it it was always fun to be 16 and outperforming like a 24 year old in class you know uh not that it's about competition but and then um other things just some really neat highlights i, I got some really good groups of friends in high school and so we had a lot of a lot of good moments together and we, we traveled actually to australia to see the pope uh in 2008 and so that was an extremely um just like a highlight of my high school and uh just beautiful to see there was over i think half a million young people from around the world together uh, with the pope and we had so much fun so that was an incredible experience for my high school time and uh and then when i finished my high school i also went 
to uh, to Spain for another World Youth Day with uh, with the Pope. So it was neat to have like my high school experience kind of like sandwiched between these two very powerful experiences with a good group of friends. And what kind of what did you learn on those trips? Mm. I learned. Oh my gosh! Yeah, that's that's such a huge, uh, huge question. Australia. I think I learned like how much my my dad trusted me. I never really knew that he like trusted me because you're a kid, you know, you know, you don't really get trusted with a lot of things. But at 16, we're in a foreign country, and he trusted me to choose what events I wanted to go to. He didn't have to be with me at those events because we were a large enough group where we could just like break up and there's like four or five of us going over here and four or five of us going over to this or that, this talk or that concert for this event. And just that he, he trusted me to make those choices and, and to be, you know, intelligent and be smart about it. So I think just on a human level, learning that he trusted me, that was a huge affirmation to me. But all the things that I learned were just the power of friendship um, and the Pope at the time, Pope Benedict said a, a line and when he was talking to us that I'll never forget the single sentence. He said, young people, what legacy are you going to leave for the next generation? And he said, will it be a legacy that builds a civilization of love or one of division? And I'll never really forget that single line because it just calls to me that, yes, I want to build a legacy uh, of love for the next generation of people that come along. And uh, I think that was like definitely the biggest lesson I took away from um, from the, the first trip. Yeah. And what about the second trip? The second trip was uh, in Spain and I had just finished my Spanish courses. So it was really neat to go and just dive right in practicing uh, the Spanish that I learned and learned. And then I learned that I learned well, you know, I was speaking to people and they didn't realize I was American. They thought maybe I was from Spain because I kind of, I guess, have a little bit of a European look. And so um, somehow I fooled them. But I think the the big takeaway from Spain was it was a much more difficult trip. Um, it was a lot hotter, you know, it's like 90 degree days. Um, I learned though that there is power in just taking everything a day at a time. When the days are so long and so hard, you know, you're going to get overwhelmed. And so you just put on your backpack and you take it one step at a time. I'm going to go to this location. I'm going to go here now. I'm going to get on this bus and don't freak out because you don't you can't fix the whole picture but you can work on what's in front of you and i think that lesson is definitely uh, something that i think of every day as a nurse uh, in my job <laughs> one patient at a time one task at a time you can't fix it all but you can at least think about what is the one thing i need to do right now so that just attentiveness to the moment it helps also so you don't get overwhelmed <laughs> And then, and in high school, so you were going to junior college as well as your high school. Mm -hmm. Who were your role models there? And did you kind of know where you wanted to go with your life at that point? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, nursing was always in the back of my mind. Um, there was something about caring for people in a very tangible way that always appealed to me. And I loved the sciences as well. So it kind of seemed like a good caring for people, science, you know, nursing. Um, but 
like I'm Catholic and I was trying to figure out what God wanted me to do with my life. And I felt like maybe he wanted me to be a priest. So I wanted to figure that out. And so while I was taking just my general education, I was also trying to figure out what to do with that. And so I ended up pivoting um, for a couple of years and studying theology at a school in Ohio where there was a special program for men who were trying to figure out if they were going to be priests. And so I lived with 45 men. Um, every day we prayed together, we, we ate together, we laughed together, we just played sports together. It was an incredible brotherhood. And through that process, discerned that, that that's not God, what God wanted for me. He didn't want me to be a priest. But I was stuck on this idea of you finish what you start. And so I was only one year away from finishing my theology degree. So I was like, I'm not going to switch my major last at the end. You know, I've got two semesters left. So I finished my theology. And then after that, started taking my pre-nursing classes and then slowly made this, this transition. So how was that? You said you were taking your pre-nursing classes. Were you, so you finished your degree already and then you had to go take pre-nursing classes where did you go to school? What what made you yeah, do that? I did a bunch of different things. I so initially actually lived in the town of Steubenville, Ohio, where I had done my undergraduate, and I worked at a hospital there, and as a nurse assistant. And then while I was doing that, I started taking my prerequisites. So I took like anatomy and physiology, microbiology, nutrition, you know, intro to psychology, psychology of human development, just some of the basic um, undergrad uh, classes that you take to get, you know, you got to get good GPA, you know, you got all this good stuff. And then you got to finish it in a good timely manner. Um, and so I, I loved the classes. And that's when I knew it was the right fit. You know, just when you want to stay up at night reading your anatomy notes, then you know, this is a good fit for me uh, because it was just fascinating how everything works together. And when it doesn't work together, that's called disease and that's a problem and we've got to address it. And so I think most specifically, I was amazed at the heart and how the heart works and how it's this crazy combination of muscle and an electrical conduction that just kind of somehow does all of this without you even thinking about it. You know, it's just amazing. And, and when you decided when did you decide to come back now you were i know you were uh you said you were in school and you did you complete your degree and you decided to go ahead i'm gonna apply for my master's degree did you decide how did you decide on where to go and what kept you motivated i mean financially were you able to make it okay yeah that's actually a really good question i mean ohio cost of living is pretty inexpensive especially where i was living you know rent was like 600 a month you know utilities included that's wild um and so my job my nurse aid job definitely covered my expenses um at least for living expenses and then the reason i came back to california actually is an interesting story because i i had an injury so i was a, a runner i ran three days a week you know three to five miles you know rain snow whatever didn't matter i got out there and i ran and there was one night that i had started adding some gym workouts in just for some strength uh, building uh, muscle and stuff like that so I had worked out earlier in the day doing a bunch of muscle work like squats and all kinds of stuff. And then that, that later that night I was actually running and I was sprinting uphill, lost my balance and I ended up tearing my meniscus in my right knee um, running that night. 
I learned a good lesson. You shouldn't um, necessarily stack your workouts on top of each other, especially if you fatigued your muscles. Uh, your body's st stabilization muscles aren't going to be as, uh, you know, able to save you if you mess up. And, uh, but that injury kind of derailed my education for a little bit because then I had to take a back seat, had to come home, do some physical therapy, you know, ended up getting surgery, all this crazy stuff, a long journey, ended up taking over two years. To this day, I still don't have all of my muscle back in my right thigh. I lost a lot of muscle after surgery and I, I just, I, no matter what I did, no matter how much physical therapy, I could never get it all back. Um, and so that completely derailed the whole plan. Um, I ended up working for five years doing youth ministry and working as a missionary, uh, completely derailed. And I thought to myself, maybe I'll never be a nurse because now I have a bad knee and I'm just kind of floundering out there. And that was a really hard place to be for a while because you just feel like you're just kind of floating and you don't really know where you're going. And, um, through the process though, I, I still had the desire to be a nurse. It was always kind of there, but it just, it didn't feel possible. And so I kind of just gave up on it for a bit, but it came back around, which is the most interesting to me, um, when I was doing a year of missionary work in LA. And then I realized, why did I ever give up on this nursing thing? Like this was an incredible idea. And it's something that I want to do, and it's still something that I'm attracted to, but I, I needed the time and space to kind of leave where I was living, go to LA and work with teenagers all day, you know, like every day for a year to realize kind of like take a little bit step back on my life, remove myself from my environment to re kind of rethink about life. And I realized I need to get back on track. And so then I started looking for degrees and programs in the area the Bay Area for nursing. And I found that if you have a bachelor degree, there's a lot of options that open up to you for nursing. And so I found a program that was an entry level master's program. So I could just take the bachelor degree I have with all the prerequisite courses that I've already taken and I had gotten good grades and they still were in a, the right window of time where they'd accept the classes. And then I just started, I applied to a couple schools just in Oakland and San Francisco. And uh, I got waitlisted for both schools. So then I was like, maybe this really isn't the plan. Maybe I really am not gonna be a nurse. One, it was impossible. I was so far down on the wait list, it wasn't going to happen. Um, but USF, um, they put me on the wait list and they said, we'll get back to you in a month. I'm like, well, that's great. So my life is kind of in limbo. Don't really know what I'm going to do after I finish this missionary year. And sure enough, it was like April 17th. I won't forget. I get a phone call from USF and they're like, well, spot just opened up in our program. Do you want it? And I was like, I just started like, like you know, I wasn't crying, but I was really excited. And I was like, of course I want it. You know, that's like, that's my shot. That's it. That's the one shot. And I think that's kind of how my life has always worked. It's just, it's not a lot of opportunities, but when the opportunity comes, you have to take it because that's the one you've got and you just got to do it. And, uh, and so then I went to USF, I was there for six semesters year round through COVID through everything. It was wild. Um, but I got my license uh, last year in February, and I've been a nurse, a licensed nurse for over a year, and I've been at the hospital here in Napa for about six months. And what was, uh, what what do you think got you through that? Like you said, it was a difficult time when you were at the university. What are some of the challenges you had, especially during COVID, and how did you develop a mindset, and what are the characteristics you think you developed in order to get through that? Yeah, I mean, I think that 
it was such a difficult time for all universities and schools, especially just to drop on the, you know, the drop of a dime to just turn your whole kind of curriculum online and to figure out how to do that well. So difficult. You know, I think a lot of people, you know, we're struggling and certain programs do better because they're kind of equipped for online. I think for me, the biggest challenge was just doubting whether or not you were going to like actually become a good nurse because our clinicals are online, our lectures are online. You can only listen so long to online lectures. You know, they just, it was difficult to just persevere, to keep going, but also to try to take your education in your own hands because you were realizing that there's no way I'm going to learn to be a nurse uh, just from what I'm being given now. Like I'm going to have to invest more in my own personal study and education because I'm not getting it online. And as much as I know they, they were doing the very best and all the state requirements and everything, they were working on them and making exceptions for COVID. But in the end, I think, what did I learn? Personal responsibility, take it a day at a time. Don't try to like, you know, worry too much about the big picture and then um, support each other. You know, we had to, we had to kind of create networks in our cohort of students just to support each other and help each other get through. So yeah, then the need for networking and community, uh, especially at a time where we were so isolated from each other. So what kind of recommendations, how did you develop those networks? And you're talking about networking and community. How did you develop that? Is that something that you really, really took some work at developing or did you, were you always good at like developing those kind of relationships? I love, uh, I think growing up in a big family, you, you learn to, to develop different kinds of relationships with your siblings. And so that was the greatest, um, like foundation for building friendships, especially then like with my extended, my cousins and my uncles and aunts, you learn to relate to all different generations in your family. Um, you know, just a lot of different of those foundational things. And then if you added to that, my different experiences of, you know, being with the group of guys in, in, in Steubenville, Ohio, with my group of friends in high school, you know, these different groups that I was interacting with really helped me build a community. And so I think going into nursing school, sure, it was a completely different environment. And you're meeting all these new people, all these people for the first time, but you definitely bond together because it's an adversity, right? Where there's a huge challenge before you, and now you're literally each other's lifeline. And so I got particularly close to about seven of my clinical, my, in my within my clinical group, and we were at John Muir hospital um in concord and we got pretty close because you know that was our daily those were probably the only people we were talking to for sure every day and so we learned how to support each other and help each other just keep going checking in with each other you know that kind of thing just making sure you're doing okay you, you know you're making it did you see this assignment you know just trying to keep each other in the loop because when things are online, it's a lot easier to miss things because they're hiding in all these little places. So you really had to kind of keep each other uh, connected and knowing what's going on. And what was your whole purpose of being a nurse? Like what yeah. drives you? Is it is it something that you're passionate about? Absolutely. Yeah, I think um, the biggest reason I chose to be a nurse was actually because um, kind of like what I was saying before, I wanted to take care of people. I had the desire to care for people, but then also had the desire to to do that in a very tangible way and studying theology i you know you learn that that god is love and love is the most important thing that you can do with your life that we're all called to love and for me it just seemed like a no-brainer that nursing seemed to be 
the manner or the, the way in which I can love best. Um, and so at least for a career or at least in, in that vocational fields. And so I, I wanted to explore that and I'm glad that I did because even though uh, it's not easy to be a nurse and you have a lot of challenges every day, um, notably just long shifts and you know all that kind of stuff, if you can keep the why in the front of your mind, why I'm here, I can get up every day to go to work knowing that, yeah, I don't want to necessarily go to work because it's work, <laughs> but I can do it because I have a reason. And I'm like, there's people I'm going to have today that I'm going to take care of and they need a nurse. And so I can get out of bed and I can go to work. And what are the biggest challenges of being a nurse? And you said the why, what is the why for you? I think my why is, is uh, to love people, to care for people. And uh, especially when they're sick, because nobody likes being sick. Sick is not being, it's not fun to be sick and you get cranky and <laughs> you see a lot of sides to people that maybe their family hasn't even seen, you know, like this is mom or dad in the hospital. They're not fun to be around, you know, um, you get super creative at how to negotiate with people when they're stubborn and they don't want to do what you need them to do. What the doctor needs has said, you know, you need to do this. Or you want to get better. And some patients are like, I'm not going to do it. And so you kind of have to learn to draw lines of like, what, where does their freedom start and end? Like if they really don't want to do it, I can't force them but I can try to convince them, you know, I can try to be creative and negotiating with them to see how we can make a, a care plan for them. Um, yeah, so I just, yeah, it gets, every day can be very challenging with the amount of hours you're gonna work, um, the, the level of tasks that you have to accomplish. And it's just boom, boom, boom. The amount of documentation is so much on computer. I imagine you know about this. The documentation that you that's required for work these days can be super extensive, takes quite a bit of time. And if you have a busy day, you might be staying late just trying to catch up on all your charting, um, all the different things that you've got to do. So it's uh, every shift is so different. I don't think there's one that's the same. And how do you stay positive in sometimes in an environment where there's um, people are very, very sick and some people may not get better again. How do you stay positive and how do you motivate other people to be positive when they're going through such difficulty? That's a good question. It, it can be very challenging um, because I work on a floor where we kind of have um, different, we don't, we're not like a, how to say that, we're a surgery floor. So we get a lot of people who are actually fairly healthy and who come to us just because they need hip surgeries or knee surgeries. And we get a lot of different kinds of surgeries, bladder surgeries, you know, almost all these different kinds. But also we do get a lot of patients who we say they're on comfort care, which means they're slowly um, dying. And so it can be very difficult to, sometimes you might have two patients who are dying, you know, on a shift. And you always pray when you get there, like, Lord, please, not on me. Don't, don't let them die today on me. Because it's just, it's hard. It's very hard. Um, how do you stay positive? Well, I think a you need self you need just some self care because that helps keep your mind um, just kind of clear and and at calm. Because if you're not calm, you can't you can't give a calm um, kind of exterior to people. It's very difficult to. I mean, some people are good at hiding it, but I'm not. I'm just kind of you see me, you get what you see. Um, and I think every day, like in the morning, I always say, I always pray and just try to take a moment of silence, especially for like at least 15 minutes when I'm just like before or after eating breakfast, just to kind of get that quiet um, moment because you're not going to have it during the day. 
taking your breaks, staying hydrated, and trying to, um, as best you can, compartmentalize what just happened in one patient room and in their situation, and just taking a deep breath before you go into the next room and just say, this is a different patient with a different experience and different needs. And I'm just going to bring my smile and I'm going to say hello, no matter what happened next door, even if it was wild and it was crazy and, you know, not so good, they might've just effed me out in that room, but I'm just going to let it go. And I'm going to go into the next room and I'm going to smile and, um, you know, just kind of shake it off. So yeah, little tips, I guess, things that I do. So you've been working at this, I know you've been, you've been a nurse here at the hospital and you hear about the what's going on, the, the war in Ukraine. And this, the war had just been started and you started hearing about the crisis. What made you decide that you're going to go ahead and go there? And I know you took one other trip previously to Poland. And mm-hmm. how did that, how did that, you process that? Yeah, I mean, I, I've been to Poland a couple times now, twice. And each time, you know, you learn a little more about the country and a little bit more about the trains and a little bit more about how to get around and operate and that kind of thing. Um, when I was seeing everything that was unfolding in Ukraine, you know, it's just so terrible. And I think having gone to Poland and seeing the fallout of what communism does, what communism does to people and a culture and how oppressive it is and how it destroys the human spirit and has no respect for human dignity, that conviction was deeply rooted inside me um, of how important it is for all of us to fight for human dignity human rights. And so then, especially as a nurse, you're like, well, maybe I can bring some of those things that I've learned and and help somehow. And so then I started to just, I, I knew that I had taken some vacation, you know, like, you know, in October, you sign up or November, you sign up for vacation, you have no idea what you're going to be doing, but you just take the time because that's what you can. And so I had this week in March and I thought, well, what the heck, you know, let's just do it. And I was going to try to go with my brother actually, but then he couldn't get his passport in time. So then it was just going to be me. And I was like, well, if it's just me, then it's just me. And I uh, had a friend here where I live who has connections in Poland. He's from Poland originally, from Warsaw area. And so he helped connect me with friends who helped me connect me to groups. So I kind of had a, a rough plan. And I think the biggest kind of moment when I knew that I needed to go was just going at the hospital. We we're just watching all the patients are just watching on their TVs what's going on in Ukraine. And so I leave one room and I go in the next room and I just keep seeing all these images and scenes of, of mothers and children. And and then you read a story about, I read a story about this mother crossing the border, holding a girl, like a baby girl, crying. And you're like, like, I can help people cross a border. Like, I don't need a language to just, you know, help carry children and carry bags. Like, I can do that. And so then I think at that point, it was kind of, like I knew that I could do something and I knew I needed to do something. And so then it was just a matter of putting pieces together. And so I, you know, started doing a bunch of a little bit of research, figuring out what cities, where the needs were, what borders were being crossed. And that led me yeah, to this little town called Shemish in the middle of uh, right there near the border of Ukraine and kind of in the middle of nowhere. So what did your family think of this? And did you tell anybody that you were going to do this? And it was, I know it was on the last, it was kind of like last minute planning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What was that process like for you? Were you scared to go? Because you didn't know what was going to, you didn't know what the environment was going to be like, correct? Yeah. I mean, I was definitely scared. Um, my family was a little bit quite worried. I know like some of the people when I was saying bye, they're like hugging you like it's the last time they were going to see you. Um, I think 
initially it was kind of like oh dominic he has this other he's he's very spontaneous i can be very spontaneous so you know like oh he has this idea you know but he's not going to actually do it he's just thinking about it but i think i was much more determined than just thinking about it even from very early on like when i started hearing about these things that i kind of already internally decided that i was going to do it and so once i think people realized that i meant it and i was going to do it then they were more they're much more supportive and kind of like okay he's actually doing this it's not just a thing he's thinking about and yeah they were worried a little bit scared but overall i think supportive and and then of course once you know one person knows your family starts to spread information around and you're kind of like trying to keep a lid on it but then people start calling you and wanting to offer you know can we give you anything to take with you um you know can we give you some money to give you know over there and whatnot so i ended up going with on top of my hiking backpack and my little um satchel bag i took a little duffel bag had two 50 pound suitcases full of medicine clothing you know socks beanies and everything was new a couple co-workers pitched in um the, the few that knew they pitched in some things and uh i brought some stuff for kids little books and things to do and i still actually have a lot left over because i couldn't fit it all in my uh my bags to keep it under the weight limit so and you didn't and you didn't want to tell your job why um i think it's just i think there's i mean multiple reasons but i think the biggest thing is i just didn't want people to know because in our current the way things are it's often like well there you must you're a hero and blah blah, blah. And there's all of this kind of attention that's put on that and and I'm not a hero and and I know it I'm, I'm a flawed human being but I know that I had to do something to help so anyone can help you don't have to be you know like there's no like fanfare so I didn't want any of that I didn't want any fanfare I didn't want any kind of like even a conversation you know just wanted to keep things very much dialed down and just to make the right decision for the right reason and help people, you know? And so I just kind of wanted to keep things just under wraps. I didn't really want a lot of people to know. Yeah, and I know your job, most of the people at your job still don't know that you spent your vacation actually abroad. And your flight to, to Poland, was it packed with a lot of people going there to help? Was there anybody else in the plane that you met that was going to the help? And when you landed at the airport, was it pretty chaotic because of what was going on? Could you tell that there was a war Hmm. nearby um that's a good questions i think on the plane i didn't meet i didn't meet anyone going there to help but i'm sure there were people on that plane that were going to help i just didn't meet him i sat next to one guy from um he was returning from like i think a couple weeks in the united states maybe a month um he was german lived near munich and he's an engineer and he works like a volunteer firefighter and so he was telling me about things that he was going to be doing to help on the german side <clears throat> to help with what's going on in ukraine um but otherwise there was nobody on the plane that i met that was really doing anything specific and then when i got to the airport things weren't quite as chaotic as i thought they might be but once you get to crack out train station and outside the train station and even in areas of the, certain areas of the city it became very evident that this is a wild situation. It's chaotic. There's tons of people coming off these trains. 
you know, there's soup, there's tents set up for like for immediate food and medical attention and clothing and, you know, things that they might need. Um, and so I actually spent two days in Krakow before I went to Shemesh and there in Krakow, I, the first day was just like a down day, just trying to recover from the trip, the flight. And the second day I went to the tents that were by the train station. And I just kept at, just would go and ask the different organizations that were there if they needed help with anything. And since my English is good, but I don't speak anything else, other so Polish, Ukrainian, and Russian, um, I think that they thought I went, I was trying to offer to buy them things for their resources. So they were like, yeah, I want, we need boxes of tea and we need, you know, coffee and, you know, sugar. And, you know, so they just like started giving me a grocery list basically. <laughs> so I was like, okay, that sounds good. I'll go shopping for a day. So basically the rest of that afternoon, I just went shopping for these people you know, whatever they asked me for. And then they were like, we need five liter water bottles. And it's like five liters, solid, you know, like almost like two gallon, maybe a gallon and a half water bottles. And so I had to go to the, and it's Sunday in Poland. So like nothing's open and you're just wandering around the city trying to find stores that sell the things you need. Uh, but it was just, it was a really fun uh, random day, but it taught me a good lesson of just sometimes it's really is the little things that you do that make a difference. It's just going to buy water at the store. And what you said, Krakow, how close is that to the camps and where are all the camps located at? Yeah, so it's interesting, actually, they don't really have like official refugee camps because Poland doesn't want to take that path. They, they're actually a lot of people are just opening up their doors to people like individual families are taking in Ukrainians and um, cities are opening up some of their halls and hotels and larger areas just for people to stay until they can find a more permanent location. So there's no like huge tents with people sleeping in them. Kind of like when you think of like a refugee camp, it's very much um, like a personal. There's a, yeah, it's incredible to see how the Polish people have stepped up to receive the Ukrainians. And Krakow is by train about three hours from Shemish, which is, you know, like maybe half hour from the border um, where a lot of the Ukrainians are coming in. And when you got there, was there other, is there obviously you said there's a lot of chaos and stuff going on. What do you mean by that? And you went out there, you didn't, you weren't really attached to any organization. You kind of went out there and said, I'm just going to go out there and try to help. How did you go about doing that? And what do you mean by the chaos? Do you see the military out there? Do you see military near the border? Is it pretty obvious that they're preparing there, preparing there for something significant that can happen in terms of the war spilling over? Yeah, I mean, chaos in the sense that when you go to the train station, there's just so many people and they're getting off these trains and there's volunteers running around trying to help them get their bags off trains and some of them don't know where they're going. And, you know, so just a lot of transit, a lot of hustle, um, but also a lot of emotion. You know, you see people just tear torn up inside, you know, some people like shell shock, that look of just kind of I'm here, but I don't know what's going on. Some people, um, a look of just grit and determination, like I will find where I'm going, you know, and uh, a mother, you know, holding on to a couple kids, just, you know, just in the middle of the fray, not knowing what the heck's going on. And some people are crying, um, a lot of emotion. But I think overall, you saw a lot of help, a lot of people receiving, helping and carrying luggage and helping them out. And then military-wise, yeah, I mean, I saw American soldiers walking around in Krakow, which is interesting because I've, I've been there, you know, multiple times, never seen any 
I've actually never seen so many American soldiers just even in the United States. Um, and they weren't, you know, with their guns and everything. They were just walking around in just their regular uniform. But um, but there were a lot of them. There were a lot. And when we got to the border, you know, the Polish police were very present at the train station and they were heavily equipped. They had their vests on. They were carrying, you know, semi-automatic weapons. Um, you could tell they were ready if it felt like this was going to escalate, um, that they were ready to escalate things just as readily. So, What was your sense of, um, you ended up working in a hospital. How did Fox News catch you? You were in the hospital and they just looking around for, how did that transpire? You were working, were you working in a hospital that day? I actually was spending most of my time in, in one of the train stations, uh, the main train station of Shemesh. And so I was just walking around helping carry luggage and whatnot. And then I remember a Polish reporter came up to me and I guess Poland has um, TVP World News and they have both an English side and a Polish side to their features. And the English side wanted to talk to me because they heard that I was speaking English. And then they heard I was from California and I was a nurse and like, well, this is an interesting story. And I, again, trying to keep a little profile. So I was just like, no, I'm not interested in interviewing with you. And they're trying to, you know, convince me. And so then the Fox News reporter was nearby and I saw Fox out of the corner of my eyes. So I was kind of trying to stay away from the, from the media people. And then the Fox reporter came over and it's like, oh, you're American you're from California. You speak English. Like, hey, we should do, you should say yes to an interview with us. And I just said, no, I just told this lady, no, I'm going to tell you, no, I really don't want to do an interview. And uh, they were very convincing. And I was helping out with the organization Caritas, which is a Catholic relief services. They do a lot of work with um, like Catholic charities, basically. And so the the volunteer court, one of the volunteer coordinators, uh, Natasha, she came over to me and she said, yeah, I told them that you could do an interview. You know, like, I was like, great. I totally got thrown under the bus. You know, I've got no way out of this. So, um, and so then the Polish reporter looks at me and she says to me, if you say yes to Fox, you say yes to me. And I was like, great. So now it's like a two for one. There's no way out of it. So I'm going to have to do two interviews. So I ended up doing one with Fox and then, and then one with, uh, with the TVP world. So it was kind of like they hit me back to back. Um, yeah, but that was it. No more media for me. Like it was just those two interviews and I kind of got out of the back to work. You know, it was a lot of work. What was your stress level like when you were there and what did you see? Was there a sense that people were very, very in, um, like you said, shell shocked, but what do the people out there need? And did mm -hmm. you, did you see a lot of need there in terms of emotional support, not just the physical portion? Mm -hmm. Definitely. Oh my gosh. There's, there was so much need. It was like you could literally anyone could help. There was something to do for everyone. You know, we had volunteers who were, you know, bit in their uh, golden years, you could say, that were just restocking snacks and passing out water and, you know, um, taking care of. I saw a nun in night holding a baby who was crying. You know, she was there helping out in this little room that we had for mothers and babies and children to sleep in if they needed a place to stay for the night. And, you know, all night long, just these these women caring for babies and children who were screaming and crying during the night so the mothers could sleep. Um, there were some art therapists that I saw there doing some art therapy with kids. There were psychologists, 
making their way around, just kind of like engaging people one-on-one, -on -one, seeing what they needed um, just for mental health. Um, there were plenty of like also priests and religious walking around, just being attentive, praying with people and kind of just helping in whatever way you could. I think I found that I spent a lot of time um, with children, playing with kids, trying to distract them and, and then just helping people carry luggage and then find a way to the maps to figure out what cities are we going to, what trains do we need to get there, all that kind of stuff. So um, I was just very impressed with the, the, the challenge of the situation, but also the outpouring of love and, and affection between people. Like sometimes you got really close to these people, even just over a couple hours, and then you found them a train and then you're taking them to that train. You took them off a train, you took them to the map, they figure out where they need to go, you put them back on another train. And they're leaving and they're just giving you these huge hugs and you know they're kissing you on you know kissing you on your cheeks very ukrainian you know and uh just you feel connected to these people and so i think that knowing that we're make you can help make a difference helps you from becoming so overwhelmed from the situation around you because it was just so sad it was like, if I wasn't helping someone, it's like, you're going to be in the corner crying because it's just, you can't process the amount of, of evil, you know, women and children, mothers, grandparents, um, handicapped people on wheelchairs. They shouldn't be being forced to be displaced from their homes and travel for hours and hours to get out of their country and to go to who knows where, you know, um, you know, it's just, just crazy because I just can't imagine what's going on there. So when you think back about this time and, and when you were actually there as well, did you see there was a lot of, of strong human spirit to be together as a community to survive? And what do you what kind of things did you see people do to support one another to get through this? Um, I mean, I think you always in the middle of tragedy, you know, people they come together. Um, and so I think you, I definitely saw a lot about part of, of just the beauty of the human spirit. Um, but then also you see the other side where you see people breaking down and, and just one of our volunteers, just a great volunteer. She spoke like, you know, um, Russian, Polish, English. Um, it was Ula. She was amazing. And there's one moment I remember she was just helping and she just started crying, you know, and she was just expressing that, I, the way that she said it was, I, I can't, you know, I can't hear this story again. You know, it's a family, they have nothing, they don't know where they're going, you know, just, it's terrible, just terrible situation. Um, and so you see kind of both sides where there's this outpouring of human spirit. There's a man from England who came and he was hilarious and he's just bringing around chocolates and, you know, all these little, little things from England passing them out and then he starts singing you know and he's got a British accent and the kids were just you know laughing and they were just loving it so you kind of have a little bit of all of the laughter and the tears it was very a very human experience from the top all the way to the bottom and do you plan on going back and uh if somebody wants to help, because one of the things I got with just people they do want to help, how would you suggest they can help and who do they contact and how would they contact you if they needed to do that? Yeah, I mean, you can email or call me or text me. That's fine. You can, I don't know, link my information, I guess, in this, this, uh, in the description or something. Um, there's a lot of ways to help. 
almost every major city, you can sign up to help as a city volunteer through the municipality. So if you just go online and click Clark, I will go to their main government website or whatever. There's a way you can sign up to help. There's a link or there's an email. You submit a form. That way they have some kind of process to track who's helping. Um, you can help with Caritas. Um, they are all over Poland. There you also have partners in Ukraine. So that's a really neat thing because the organization is in both countries. So they have a great connection. Um, they're all over. So if you can go on their website and you can, you know, reach out to them. There's like World Central Kitchen that was there. They were providing all the kinds of food. You can reach out to them. I'm sure that they, you know, love to have help too. But uh, again, some people I met just showed up and signed up with the city right there and started helping. So there's a lot of, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of ways to help. I mean, obviously you can find, you can donate to these organizations if you don't feel compelled to go to help in person. Um, you can pray for the people of Ukraine. I mean, I think there's a lot of ways to, to help. Um, everyone can do something. I think that's what my, my line is. So what, is, what, and what is your email? If you can give um, my email is um, domfig92 at yahoo.com. That's domfig92 at yahoo.com and they can reach out to you you can mm -hmm. connect them and maybe mm -hmm. give them some advice on what, what they can do to help for and sure. i have a, i have a few other questions for you um what is left on your bucket list in life bucket list oh gosh um that's a tough question i mean there's all the it's kind of like you can rank it right there's all the things you would like to do give but me a couple give me a couple okay yeah, okay a couple, couple i mean definitely having kids having a family having kids raising your kids um investing in them i think becoming a great nurse um really maxing out your professional skills and um but i think the biggest thing that stands out to me i mean there's a lot of things i want to do like i want to get more into backpacking and hiking and survival skills, emergency medicine kind of stuff, definitely. Um, but ultimately, like, I want to go to heaven. Like, I want to be a saint. And it's whatever it takes. And that's the big goal. That's the one goal that if I missed everything else, and I didn't get anything else in life, but I found by God's grace became a saint, that's the one thing that, I, that actually matters to me uh, most of all. And what would the older or this version of you tell the young version of you, if you could? Um advice wise yeah no confidence don't be afraid just put yourself out there if you fail you fail but that's part of the journey and don't be afraid to to love and not count the cost of what it's going to require because yeah there's times that things aren't going to fly in your face and all the love that you poured into the, into different situations and relationships is going to just blow up and it's not going to go anywhere but that it's still worth it um even if it hurts because that's the that's the great risk of love, that we open our hearts, that we make ourselves vulnerable. And when you make yourself vulnerable, you can be wounded. But if you don't make yourself vulnerable and don't open your heart, what kind of heart do we have? You know, a heart that's isolated, a heart that, that can't love or can't receive love. And, and what is your guilty pleasure food-wise? <laughs> guilty pleasure food-wise. Um, for candies, Sour Patch Kids, for sure. Oh, gosh. Um, I know. It's like the, the worst thing. I think a dentist told me once, you really need to stop eating this stuff. It's literally the worst thing for your teeth. <clears throat> um, but other other foods, 
Um, definitely tacos. I love tacos. And of any, like, any form of any kind, like fried or whatever, any kind of meat, any kind of cheese. Yeah. And then here's a, here's a, here's my last question. It's, it's always a tough question. What do you want to be remembered for when you're no longer here? Um, that I was a man who loved well. And that I loved uh, without counting the cost. And that I, you know, always put everything out there for other people. Well, I just want to say thank you so, so much for being here, Dominique. I appreciate all the work you did, uh, all, all the work you've done, and all the work you're going to do in the future. Um, thank you for, you know, going to the Ukraine and helping, or going to Poland and helping the refugees that, that came from Ukraine. And I think that's amazing work. And again, thank you for being here. Thank, thank you. I want to thank my producer, Brian Garcia, for producing this. And join us on the next podcast with another amazing guest. If you like it, give it a thumbs up and give it reviews. And have a wonderful day, y'all. Take care and keep learning.